0: Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this time by Curiosity Stream and Luminos.
1: Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined in this comfortable fabric of space time, my co host, Jason Snell.
0: Wow. It is a it is a comfortable, breathable fabric of space time. Shockingly light. We reside. Light. <laughs> I don't know. It is a, it's made from space age materials, I think.
1: Oh yeah. Hmm. Uh, So we were just together last week.
0: We were. um, We were not in space, though. We were just in uh, a physical uh, location uh, of basically everybody I know came to San Francisco for the week for uh, Apple's developer conference for the technology side of what we do. And uh, yeah, so there's a picture on Instagram of you sitting at at my uh, desk pretending to work, except that the, the computer's off.
1: And I think the keyboard is unplugged, but you know, it's fine. It's fine. Yes. So you and your lovely family hosted a bunch of us for dinner. Thank you very much again. Yeah. It was always fun to see everybody. And uh, now we're back in our...
0: We've returned to our traditional locations. Yes.
1: You are back in the garage. I am in my office. And we can, even though we may be apart, Jason, we can celebrate together. Uh, Solstice was yesterday, June 20th.
0: Yeah. It was was great here. So one of the things um, that... uh, I enjoy about this and we did a whole episode about like the seasons and axial tilt and the moon and we've done we've covered a lot of this stuff before this like ways that astronomy and space actually affects us here on earth and how we live our lives um we were lucky we were really lucky last night because it was also we don't get a lot of uh, pretty sunsets here um because oftentimes the fog just you know covers the fog is is over the ocean and so when the sun goes down it just kind of goes behind the fog and that's it and that, that's the end but last night we had a beautiful sunset spectacular um and we had a lot of high clouds there wasn't any fog we had some some spectacular sunset of course it being the solstice it's the latest sunset of the year it's the northernmost sunset of the year and uh of course there was uh, a another uh, guest special guest star who was um coming on the stage just as the sun was setting which was the moon because it was a full moon during the solstice too which is pretty rare
1: yeah i was i was reading this thing over on national geographic about it it's the first solstice full moon in more than uh 50 years and it's called a strawberry moon i think is kind of the the term given to it it's like uh, a
0: harvest moon and things like that they gave they gave people people in olden times gave names to uh the different full moons to mark the mark the months basically
1: in the pre-lift off time
0: (laughs) yes yes before this show started and set everybody right Oh, you found it! It's episode ten where we talked about the winter solstice. Yes, and here I was we are. me the
1: archives. The name of the episode is the solstice. Yeah, so <laughs> here easy we are. To find.
0: Six months later, we're back. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how that works.
1: I've got small kids, and right, so this time of year, you're like, oh, it's still light. Uh, you know, when we're going to bed, and yeah. so I just had that mm. thought last night because one of them complained about it. I'm like, well, actually, uh, this is the <laughs> longest you get. <laughs> it's all downhill from now, kids.
0: Yeah, good luck. All the way, all the way to, to almost Christmas time. It's just going to get shorter and shorter, but uh, but I love it. I love it when it stays light late. Although I do remember when the kids were were little, it was especially difficult to put them to bed when it was still light out, and especially when the kids were getting up early in the morning when the sun would would get up. They're like, that was the rule. Was like if it's dark out, stay in your bed. And then summer would come. I'm like, why did we do that rule? Because <laughs> oh man, so. I also uh, I put a link in here. It's not the only one of these articles, but I found several articles on the subject of the solstice and the uh, and the uh, strawberry moon that were hilarious because they quoted astrologers and uh, and stated just sort of like as facts, all sorts of uh, ridiculous things about the the fact that the moon was happening at the solstice. I wish I could find the one that I found yesterday. There was a news story that had this prominently displayed, but I did find this article in the Telegraph in the UK that, uh, that just states, as a matter of fact, it says, there is a lot of stuff that is lining up to make this moon quite potent. And I go, that's a weird quote from, because there's an astronomer quoted earlier, it's like said astrologer, Timothy Halloran. And I went, <laughs> oh no, there, there is an explosion of ad, of energy that will go on with this full moon. Well, I hope your everybody's energy out there really exploded when that full moon came up, but, uh, but it is a cool little convergence of things that there's uh, a full moon happening. Yep. over there and uh and the and your solstice sunset over here and then we had the beautiful sunset to go with it on top of it uh so we ended up just standing outside for about 15 minutes in the street uh uh just watching the 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 clouds and the sunset and all that now i felt that was a fitting way to celebrate the the sunset of the uh of the solstice because it's uh you know that's like a midsummer festival time it's uh it's great it's
1: like a midsummer's dream some may say
0: yeah, Midsummer Sunset Dream, hmm. Twilight Dream. That's a thing, right? Uh,
1: so let's uh let's talk about the Cygnus Sapphire test. We spoke about this uh, I guess several episodes ago. It was announced that more or less they were going to set a fire inside the the uh Cygnus module. Yeah, it's called
0: Sapphire, but it's spelled like fire because it's, it's very funny. It's, they're setting things on fire. Yes. In space. Um,
1: and so Sapphire is a basically a three-foot by five-foot module strapped inside this uncrewed vehicle. And inside of it, so this isn't like... I think what I had in my mind before I read about it was like, we're just going to light the inside of single fire. Much more controlled than that. Inside of this module was a 16 by 37-inch piece of fiberglass cotton material. And they burned that within the module. So this idea of like a car fire in space...
0: Not really what happened doing this in the cargo ship is smart right because you don't really want people around but and and, and this is a fascinating problem right the idea of how do we um how do we learn how this happens without killing people so here's how you you know you conduct these experiments because it could be really dangerous and there have been some uncontrolled fires but uh, like the International Space Station, where they had to put them out. But in those c- scenarios, you know, the goal is not to learn about it. You might learn about it after the fact. The goal is to save yourself and and damage. Um, so you know, I think I think it's fascinating stuff. Um, although also just kind of scary and weird. The uh, the space fires scary.
1: Space fires. So this is the first, in what will be a series of uh, experiments and future missions. All taking place within, contained within this sapphire uh, module.
0: Yeah. So they, they leave the space station and then they set things on fire. Um, so they do it afterward, after everybody's out of the way, and then they then they run the experiment in these uh, in these modules.
1: Yep. Uh, we got a couple links uh, in the show notes to NASA pages uh, about this. There's a there's some photos and stuff in here of the module itself, and. A basically an animated image of the sample burning and it really looks uh, very unlike any sort of fire that we that we see here it's sort of uh pulsing and and as it burns across this uh, material in a very sort of uh, unnatural way as we're used to accustomed to seeing it here with gravity but in microgravity uh fire acts differently and the previous biggest like control sample was just the size of an index card so lots of learning uh, going on here but you, you should definitely go check out the video cuz it really is um really yeah, is wild there's it's a, I, so weird yeah it's it's strange i should mention you'll see a green flashing in this they had green lights inside the module so they're flashing uh flashing that light during the burn but um the fire is really sort of unsettling to watch as it creeps across this material
0: space pyromaniacs take note the <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fun. It's science. Ooh. We're destroying things for science. Woo! Yeah, the beam
1: inflatable uh, habitat uh, aboard the International Space Station passed its initial inspections. We spoke. Last time about them pressurizing it and then entering it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, there's some new photos of the interior and uh, an outline oh, a- of, of what's going on there with a bunch of sensors. It's way at- better
0: than it was two weeks ago when all we had the picture was like of the astronaut's socks. Yes. As he poked his head inside of Beam. There's like pictures of like everybody inside of Beam now, which is it's way better than just the sock photos.
1: <laughs> so they are... Uh, astronauts have placed a series of sensors and testing devices within beam. As we talked about, it is sealed off from the rest of the space station in case something unexpected happens. And they're they're going to ins- be inspecting it ev- six or seven times over the course of the next two years, monitoring things like not only air pressure, but things like temperature and Uh, other environmental variables to make sure that it is performing uh, the way they expect it to the way they want it to and then after two years it will be jettisoned uh to be burned up in re-entry like so many so many other pieces of hardware but testing is well underway and i do like the picture of the crew floating in there i mean i've read the dimensions of it but it it is uh i don't know i guess i was picturing something uh something much smaller but it is it's i mean there's six full-grown astronauts in there and plenty of room yeah
0: I mean, there's kind of nothing on the walls, right? I mean, it's just it's just this kind of bare space with them that they put the sensors on there. So it's there's not much to it. But yeah, it's it is bigger than I than I kind of pictured too. I kind of pictured like a coat closet or something, but it's it's more like a walk-in closet
1: <laughs> with shiny shiny interior walls.
0: Yeah, it does it does look unlike right because you're you're used to seeing the walls be these kind of metal you know smooth metal walls that that are there reinforced protecting you from space and here it's it's it does look a little bit like you're inside a a tube or something that has been like one of those um or like a bendy straw they're kind (laughs) of inside a bendy straw here but it's cool that's hilarious. Right? Right, though? I mean, it looks like a bendy straw. It's got the ridges where it's expanded out. And, and uh, yeah, anyway, space bendy straws coming I think soon.
1: you could have saved them years of engineering if they had just started it with just, that thought.
0: Bendy straws in space. Don't send a fire in them. No. Whatever you do.
1: <laughs> do. Not do that.
0: Nope.
1: We spoke during our space station episode about the Chinese space station that is due to Uh, come online here in the next couple of years and we spoke a lot about how the Chinese space agency is really cut off from everybody else that uh, NASA and the European Space Agency and all these other groups aren't really doing anything with the Chinese they're really off on their own well it seems like there may be a a little bit of movement there just Mm. this week uh, China signed an agreement with the United Nations to open up its future space station to spacecraft and experiments and even astronauts from other countries, which is a huge step right they've been so sealed off there's even question about what they've been up to the Chinese have had a a very small space station that's really a phase one type station, but no one really knows what's going on with it and right. this could be the opening up a little bit of, of future cooperation
0: yeah it's uh i mean i I read the one of these articles and it, it seemed very much like this is a it's a first step uh, it's possibly for um i mean i guess china said this is a this is also a way to work with maybe uh, more of the more developing nations uh, who, which have really fledgling space programs i think they mentioned india at one point um it will be interesting to see if if it, it also increases uh, cooperation with russia and th- maybe even the esa Um, as we've stipulated before the US has a a legal problem where right now working with Chinese space officials is essentially barred by law because they think it's a national security problem right so we'll see what happens with that one but um, I and I'm you know I'm sort of I've enjoyed the International Space Station era where everybody realizes space is very expensive and that maybe we could work together on stuff And so i kind of would like that to continue i'm not quite sure exactly what the the plan is here if 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 it's if china's goal ultimately is to prove it can do that it themselves and if it brings some countries along with them then so be it creating its sort of like parallel team of countries that are working together in space to the ones that are over at the iss or whether china you know beyond a certain point does actually want to be welcomed into the this bigger picture i don't I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows really what their strategy is there. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, as always, what what happens next here. But because I'm really kind of baffled about about where where we go and what the politics, the geopolitical. Uh, situation with space is, right? I mean, because we've got Russia, we've got the US doing commercial crew to try and get off the Russian rockets. And we've got Russia saying, well, we, we don't even, you know, you can't leave um, if we don't sell you any more seats and we're not selling you any more seats, which is, you know, what's going on there? Who knows? And there's lots of tension between the U.S. and Russia. Um, and then you've got China. Uh, coming up here and 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 having big plans of its own so it'll be uh quite a uh a, perhaps a new phase where there's more competition i i've heard the arguments that comp- international competition in space all the way back to obviously the early days of, of space exploration it can be a real spur to innov- innovation um at the same time it also sometimes seems wasteful if everybody is spending money building the same things instead of working together to build more things
1: Right, I think too about you know past the the lifespan of the International Space Station. Is, is this could this become a uh, part of you know the next generation of low Earth orbit work? Uh, so you know, uh, right? I mean, it's it's really early, and actually, you kind of read the release, and it's like, is this actually saying anything? But um, but it's something, and I think that you know the U.S. aside, and it's and the issues uh, there. I mean going through the United Nations is a little bit of a weird way to do this, but you gotta start somewhere, I guess. And and I, for one, at least until we see otherwise, I'm going to be um uh be optimistic that this is a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that. I think I think more more countries participating in space exploration is fundamentally a good thing, regardless.
1: Agreed. So we're gonna take our first break and thank our sponsor, Curiosity Stream. We've been talking about Curiosity Stream a lot, and that's because it is super awesome. It's the world's first ad free non fiction streaming service. It was founded by John Hendricks, the founder of Discovery Communications. And Curiosity Stream features a ton of great stuff. It's over 1,400 titles at 600 hours of content. It's available in 196 countries worldwide. So often, streaming services are locked by region. Curiosity Stream is. Uh, basically all over the place. And it's on many platforms as well. It's on the web, it's on the, it's on Roku players, Android, iOS, Chromecast, Amazon Fire, Amazon Kindle, and Jason's favorite, the Apple TV. They Ooh. have a wide variety of both science and technology content, including stuff about nature, history, and much, much more. And what's really cool is they just launched over 50 hours of 4K content. This puts CuriosityStream as one of the largest providers of 4K content. Uh, streaming content online and you might think i'm not really big into documentaries curiosity stream also features tons of interviews and lectures uh, including stephen hawkins universe uh, it's a series in which he traces the history of astronomical theories and technology uh, next world which looks at the future of technology virtual reality ai and other big tech technological questions Uh, And other great titles like The Road to Singularity and The Human Face of Big Data, which is actually a current exclusive on CuriosityStream. Now, monthly and annual plans start at just $2.99 a month, and that's way less than any one one of these titles would be on competing on-demand services. You go to download this from iTunes, you're going to spend more than what a a whole plan, uh, monthly plan, would cost you at CuriosityStream. So go check them out, curiositystream.com slash relayfm. And if you use the promo code relayfm during signup, you will get unlimited access to the world's top documentaries and nonfiction series completely free for the first 60 days. That's two entire months free of one of the largest 4K libraries around. Just go to curiositystream.com slash relayfm and use the offer code relayfm at signup. Thank you so much to CuriosityStream for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. So, we're going to spend a little bit of time this week in Commercial Space Flight Corner.
0: Woo! I love commerce and space flight. So, tell me more.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Blue Origin, which, of course, is the company owned by Jeff Bezos, yep. has flown its New Shepard rocket for the fourth one, two, three, four. Uh, fourth time. Count and uh, for the first time, uh, I think. Why I want to talk about this is they had a a live webcast of it. So SpaceX has been doing this for a long time. Uh, Blue Origin had one where you could follow along. I watched it after the fact, and it the the difference between the two is really um, striking. The it goes by much faster than if you watch SpaceX or even the United Launch Alliance because this thing is suborbital. Um, the it, the whole thing was just like over super fast. It basically goes up, hits apogee, and then comes back down. Right. But it was really exciting to see it. You know, Blue Origin has been so quiet and very protective of what they've been doing. And this is really the first time we've seen anything uh, live from them. In fact, after their first and I think second flight, like they announced it after the fact. They're like, "Oh, by the way, last week we did this thing." So it's uh, you know maybe it's a confidence thing. Maybe they they are learning from these other companies that PR is a is a big part of this at this early stage. So you can go watch uh, the video on YouTube and. This uh test was not only of the rocket, but they have a capsule as as well, and they as part of this test brought the capsule back on two out of its three parachutes. So I did get a little motion sick watching it because only on two it, it oscillates really badly before mm. it sort of settles down you know if you if you <laughs> if you've lost one of your parachutes, a little oscillation is probably a fine trade off for landing gently. And this capsule does land on the ground like the uh, the Soyuz capsules, and so they have yeah. like a rocket fire right at the very last moment, which uh, just seems bananas to me.
0: This one, this one seems to maybe not so much. I mean, it did seem to land at like twenty miles an hour. It was not a super super gentle landing.
1: not I think that they, uh, I think that the the goal is to to be more gentle. I don't know if that was a, a side effect of having only two of the three parachutes, so maybe their speed mm. before the burn was faster, I'm not not really sure. But I uh, noticed a successful flight for for Blue Origin, and they are uh, proving that they can do this uh, over and over, and even though they're not you know putting anything into orbit, that's not their initial mission. And so right. Right. I think on their path, again, we talked about it, it's hard to compare them directly to SpaceX, but I think the path that they've chosen, uh, clearly they're enjoying successes and hitting milestones every time they fly this thing.
0: Yeah, I like the um uh, the you know we talked about it before the difference between going up in, to uh to into orbit versus just sort of reaching the boundary of space and then coming back down and that that one of them requires a lot more energy and and therefore we could say it's harder um you know this is the path that Blue Origin is taking, and they they're gonna do some space tourism along the way. That's one of the goals here is that l- sort of like Virgin Galactic, the idea here is to be able to ultimately say people to send people up and they can say they were in space, but they're not gonna have orbited the earth. they're just gonna kind of go up beyond the boundary and then and then uh come back down very much like Alan Shepard in the first uh American uh, space flight he didn't orbit he just uh, went up and that's why it's called new shepherd which is uh, it's cool i like that um yeah it's it's an interesting uh, approach and everybody's uh everybody's uh, taking it in a little different way so uh i'm 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 interested to see how uh you know whether blue origin is going to do more um you know do more uh orbital stuff that they're working on too or if they're going to really focus on the tourism aspect with this uh with this capsule i don't know i don't know and and this story does say it was they did they did crash the capsule uh intentionally at at like 20 miles an hour just to see what the what the damage would be like and whether the people would be safe even even with that parachute failure so it was it was not meant to land smoothly even even so so you know cool
1: I guess the commentary over the video, uh, you know, the, I guess employees or somebody you're know, talking about what was going on. There was a lot of commentary like framed around the space tourism thing. So, like as the capsule is coming back down, it's like this is you know you have felt weightless, and this is when you're going you know when they're telling you to go back to your seat and get buckled back in. Like it, it was a very interesting take uh, compared to these other companies that do this. Very much framing it even the, the like the commentary and the the comments around the tourism angle. And again, I think that's totally great, and I think it's uh, I think it's super interesting that they're finally doing it out in the open, and I hope we see more of it. I think it's it's really fun to yeah. compare and contrast these things.
0: And we'll uh, give a shout out to our uh, listener Sean Moore, who wrote in with a uh, and sent us a link to a blog post he did making a uh, defense of uh, of space tourism. Um, because we talked about how we're less excited about space tourism than more space exploration because I, th- I believe what I said was it feels like a novelty um, and uh, he, he makes some arguments about how space tourism is important to uh, advance our knowledge of space and I uh, I think he makes good points. I don't agree with him, but that's fine. Um, I think he makes some very good points. So thank you to Sean uh, for writing in. We'll put that in the show notes so other people can read what Sean thinks.
1: SpaceX also had some activity in the last uh, fortnight. They uh, flew a Falcon 9. Their primary objective, put a satellite uh, out into orbit, was successful, but they did lose the Falcon 9 at landing. It was not... I don't think it was as uh fireballish as, as past ones.
0: No. In fact, if you look at the video, because I, I watched it live, and I think you watched it live, the... Um... The frames that we get from the landing craft i mean you can see that that it's down and that there's fire (laughs) you can see that too but um it was you know it was a close thing and it actually reminded me it's probably like one of the ones they did earlier where there was a there was a distant shot where You know, there was the one where it landed and then it fell over. Um, This was a little bit different. It looks like it it basically it landed hard and um, and then did some exploding. And (laughs) so what we saw was kind of the hard landing and then we didn't see any more because of the exploding part. Right. So uh, but still, you know, it's not one of those things where I mean, like, clearly they can get it. They can get these rockets to the target. Um, the questions are you know about you've also got to get it to you know be landed and secure so that you can then take it you know take it with the ship back to back to dry land and they they didn't do this uh, this time because they had what did they have Stephen
1: they had a RUD which is a rapid unscheduled disassembly
0: Mm -hmm. Yep,
1: it's my favorite acronym in all of space
0: yeah I think so
1: they're they're still on track to refly one of their Falcon nines. They had said it would be this summer, and then I think at uh, including at the the conference, the code conference, which covered last last time, they've now since said it will be later in the fall. So you know, uh, Elon Musk dates are a thing that <laughs> slip continuously, yeah. but they do expect to still uh, to refly this thing, which of course is a, another contrast between them. And Blue Origin, where Blue Origin was reusable, basically out of the gate, as far as we know. Again, they're secretive, so we don't know how many they smashed into the desert floor. But they've been, uh, you know, it's a different type of thing. But uh, so yeah, so SpaceX was in in the news too, and they've got another International Space Station uh, top off flying later this summer from the Cape. Uh, basically, the this year's version of this of the NASA social trip I went on last year. Hmm. Uh, so we'll, SpaceX will continue to be to be in the news? I mean, what Musk say at the code conference like a, a launch every couple of weeks they are definitely ramping that up
0: yeah it 's uh exciting to see that um one of these days stephen, one of these days we 're going to go to a launch somewhere it 's going to happen should, we should do it although although last week when we were together there were definitely other people were agitating to send us to space camp, which yes. i don 't think i, I don 't know if I entirely support us going to adult space camp, although it would be hilarious. Um, but uh, you know, maybe maybe a launch sometime, especially if there are lots of launches happening. Um, oh yeah, you know. we
1: well, you know the future when it's every couple of days,
0: just go sure. find one, just just show up and <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, we have uh, we have a little mini topic to discuss after I tell you about our second sponsor uh, liftoff brought to you once again by luminos the all-in-one mobile astronomy app for iphone ipad and apple watch it's from wobbleworks they've been developing it for more than 10 years brings the power of desktop astronomy programs to your mobile device wobbleworks proud to kick off its sixth year of free feature updates by announcing the release of luminos version 9 it's got the largest star catalog available anywhere on mobile and it's on all of your devices the complete ucac4 catalog available up to 113 million stars but you don't have to have all those stars if you don't want to if your device isn't big enough to fit all of that you can choose which catalog size best fits your needs and storage and then one tap and you've got that version of the catalog downloaded you can augment it with supplemental data if that was not enough data you can add more including photometry and proper motion information Uh, Also supports iOS 9 features like split-screen multitasking and spotlight search. There's an Apple Watch app that is updated for watchOS 2. Oh, I wonder what will happen with watchOS 3. It'll be even faster and launch even faster uh, in watchOS 3. But it's already faster and more more reliable with uh, the latest update for watchOS 2. Wobbleworks is a family business. They've got more than 50 years of software experience combined, and they've made Luminos for old and new astronomy fans alike there are detailed planet and moon maps tens of thousands of asteroids and comets millions of stars support for wireless telescope control and a whole lot more so check it out find all the details at wobbleworks.com and thank you to wobbleworks and luminos for sponsoring liftoff
1: a mini topic huh
0: well um we taught we we want to go through like all of the objects of the solar system and talk about them and we were trying to figure out what to do for this episode and um you suggested mercury because quite honestly uh and apologies to all the mercurians out there uh it's the least interesting planet so we're gonna just spend half the episode talking about it instead of a whole episode talking about it sorry mercury Are you excited about Mercury? I am
1: excited about Mercury, but uh, I agree with you that it is not a full show's worth of stuff because it's, uh, I I think all the weirdness with Mercury is solely based on where it is in the solar system.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not trying to run it down. It is interesting in some ways, but I think still among the eight major planets of the solar system, I'd say it's the least interesting. There's just not a lot going on there. Um, But you want me to run down some of the details? Let's do it. it is the smallest planet of the non-minor planet variety Um, of those eight major planets it's the smallest one it's only about 40 percent of the earth's radius that means that in terms of its volume it's actually smaller than a couple of moons you may remember from our moon draft ganymede and titan are both larger than mercury they're not heavier there's much more mass because uh uh mercury is actually about six percent of earth mass but the the wacky thing about it is 42 percent of its volume is its core so it's got a huge core that's almost half of the planet a dense heavy iron core and uh, of course it's a rocky planet like the other inner planets of the solar system it's got a magnetic field because there's a core um So it's, it's interesting. So it's smaller than a couple of moons, but it's definitely got mass on its side. It is one of the, uh, one of the massier, I guess guess it's probably the, the, uh, eighth massiest thing in the solar system other than the sun. It is, it's got weight on its side. It it is a little, you know, heavy little BB is this thing, (laughs) Mercury. Um, and, uh, let's see, it kind of looks like the moon. It looks. I was looking at a picture of the Mercury, Mercury and the Earth next to each other, and I thought you could just at a glance mistake that for the moon it's bigger than the moon but it kind of looks like the moon it's just kind of colorless it's got lots of craters on it it's essentially an inactive dead world there's no atmosphere of any kind like the moon Um, it's got one major uh, feature this impact basin that's about the size of texas which doesn't seem huge until you realize it's a much smaller planet that 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 texas is on Um, and that but it's four billion years old there was a like an asteroid hit mercury and created this thing called the Caloris Basin. Uh, we know uh, more about it now because we've finally get taken some pictures of it uh, to get a better idea of the geography of, of Mercury. And there's evidence for volcanism. It looks like there are a bunch of low sort of shield volcanoes that obviously were doing kind of pyroclastic flows over the course of um, a long period of time. You know, millions, uh, you know, maybe even tens or hundreds of millions of years, but it was a long time ago. And uh, there's no evidence that there's any activity anymore and hasn't been for a long time. This is an old surface. It's not repaving itself. You can tell, obviously, the more craters there are, the more uh, the older the surface is. Right. Um, and if you've got a smooth thing, that means it's repaving itself. And and that's an active surface like parts of Pluto. We've seen that um, Mercury, very old surface, not a lot going on there.
1: Let's talk about about its uh, relationship with the sun. Like I said, I think that's, oh, the sun. I think that's the most interesting thing about it. It it orbits uh, in a pretty eccentric orbit uh, between forty six and seventy million kilometers from the sun.
0: Yeah, it's, it's wacky.
1: Thirty nine percent of the distance between us and the sun. So 0.387 AU's.
0: It is the most eccentric orbit of any planet. Is I want to say huh. I think so I think so it is it is an unusual uh distance change that it makes that you know it's the average it's like almost uh it's like 39% of the earth sun distance so it's a lot closer than we are to the sun but it varies quite a lot and it speeds up at one end of it and slows down at the other end it's kind of fascinating um yeah yeah it's uh it's it's close in there though it's very very the sun it tells the story it's proximity to the sun tells the story this is inside the uh, th- there's no Goldilocks zone down where Mercury is um, and, and and that means that you know if you want to see it like when can I go see Mercury in the sky you have it has to be basically like right before sunrise or right after sunset and even then and uh, the further north or south you are on the earth the harder it is to see it um, and because it's inward from us like Venus except even more so if you can see it there it does actually have phases like the moon and venus but uh, but it is hard to see and and the higher latitude you are the harder it is to see it although apparently it's it's a little easier because of the way the orbit works it's a little easier to see it uh at its longest distance from the sun uh, in the southern hemisphere but um, especially high latitude northern hemisphere it's hard to spot mercury
1: gotcha for a long time it was believed that mercury uh, was tidally
0: locked right Right, that we always would see one face of it, and we thought that that meant that it was tidally locked, but we couldn't see it very well, and it turned out to be wrong. Turns out to be wrong.
1: So it rotates on its axis three times for every two revolutions around the sun, so a three to two resonance. And this this makes for some uh, weird stuff. So if you, were, if you were standing on Mercury, please take your sunglasses. Mm-hmm. It would appear that one day would pass for every two orbits around the sun which is what 88 earth days or so is the- yeah it's
0: a mercury year is about so- 88 days because it's close and so and it's and it's also the fastest orbit not sure if i mentioned that earlier but the the orbital speed of mercury is the fastest in the solar system it's it's zipping around the sun in 88 days for its year um, and uh, but it's in this orbital resonance which happens you gravity wants to put there are a lot there are a lot of resonances throughout the solar system where you've got big bodies and small bodies and they end up in gravity causes them to be tidally locked in certain ways where one face one like uh, the moon faces the earth it's in a resonance with the earth where as its rotation matches uh, its revolution around the earth which means it always keeps the face it one face to the earth and We don't see the other side. Um, Mercury is in a, is not in that resonance. It's in this three two resonance, which means very slowly, if you were to stand on the on the on the surface in uh, 176 days, uh, you would see you know the the uh, day night cycle, and and it would have made two orbits around the sun at that point.
1: Of course, as you as you might imagine, we got some pretty extreme temperatures on Mercury that says no atmosphere and you're very close to the sun, uh, to quote you in our show notes, wild (laughs) times on the surface.
0: It's not a great place to be. Um, It's not the hottest thing in the solar system, like the surface of Venus. I mean, outside of the like being in the sun, the surface of Venus, because of the runaway greenhouse effect, is extremely hot. This is, though, Mercury is the place with the biggest extremes in temperature in the solar system because it has no atmosphere. The atmosphere has, it's, it's, it's not that heavy, and it's right next to the sun, so any atmosphere that it would have would be blasted away by the sun and has been. So it's got no ap- atmosphere to speak of. It's got a tenuous exosphere, they call it, which means we gave up and we can't even call it an atmosphere. <laughs> um, and what that means is that when you're in the direct sun it is murderously hot although again not as hot as venus because there's no uh, insulation happening here but it's still like 800 degrees uh or that uh, fahrenheit or 420 c uh during the day but at night no atmosphere turned away for a long period of, of time from the sun it actually gets down to about uh 280 below fahrenheit and that's negative 170 celsius uh so the that is that is the biggest extreme in the solar system because in the outer solar system it's always cold right and on venus it's always hot but on mercury you've got the the hot side is hot and the cool side is cool to quote an old mcdonald's ad that nobody remembers
1: (laughs) and because of that slow rotation that 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 away side is exposed for so long Super cold.
0: Yeah, very, very long time. Um, it's a, they, they, So they speculated for a long time that it, there might actually be um, volatiles on mercury, like water ice. And this is the same kind of conversation we had about, um, about on the moon. The idea that at poles, in craters, you could have stuff that never gets uh blasted by the sun and therefore there are there's like stuff that has collected there and has not been boiled away and that was always a thought about mercury is that it too might have polar craters that had like water at the bottom of them ice at the bottom of them um and on the moon we always talked about that as a a resource if you send people to the moon you could actually be near a polar crater and you could use the you could use the ice um one of the a recent probe that we'll talk about in a minute to to venus or to mercury basically uh confirm this that there there are craters on mercury that almost certainly have uh water ice at the bottom of them because they never get any sunlight there's there's almost uh, no axial tilt in mercury um so it has no seasons to speak of it's pretty much just straight on up and down um and we they've looked in those in those craters and seen the reflectivity that indicates that there is water ice down there so i guess if you really did have to go to mercury you could uh You could uh, hang out in one of those craters where you're always kind of in the shade and and drink some water.
1: So we have explored Mercury a little bit. It's really hard to get a probe into orbit around Mercury. It's moving very quickly, and the sun's gravity is so intense due to its location. It's actually really expensive from a fuel standpoint to uh, get into orbit. And then landing with no atmosphere to slow you down is even harder
0: yeah we we have landed something on on uh, mercury one time uh and it wasn't a landing it was a crash it was an intentional crash so they're they're literally this is amazing this is one of the eight planets in our solar system and um and and it's uh inward from us um you know we've explored venus and mars and jupiter and saturn a lot uranus and neptune only with one spacecraft Mercury's got one up on Uranus and Neptune. We've explored them with it with two. So there was Mariner 10 in 1974 and 1975. Um, Really interesting mission. If you look at it, it was the first... A planetary slingshot, and this happens all the time in orbital orbital mechanics of these probes now, where you will go past a, a planet or many planets and, use, and sort of steal their momentum to b- get a boost to go to your eventual destination. And so Mariner 10 was the first spacecraft to do that. It used Venus to speed itself up to get, because again, Mercury moves faster in its orbit than the Earth does, so they used Venus to get a boost inward so that it could speed up to uh to mercury and it managed to do it basically was in a solar orbit but it was able to fly by mercury three times in the mid 70s so that was our first real look at mercury and uh what until really recently that was the best view we had of mercury which meant there were like seriously like until um until, like, five years ago, six years ago, there were parts of Mercury where we basically did, had never seen it. Mm-hmm. Like, we just... This, this part, we intentionally left blank. We, we have no idea because we haven't had a spacecraft at an angle where we could see, especially, like, at the poles. So, um, that was Mariner 10... And that was it they did three flybys and then it basically ran out of juice and uh the the wikipedia article about it says it's still in a solar orbit just kind of hanging out going past mercury every now and then but it's off it's it's it ran out long ago of uh of 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 energy um and then the big one is messenger which is really recent the mission ended in 2015 uh so last year (laughs) uh it flew by 2008 2009 it did it to get around orbit mercury it went around it actually slingshotted around the earth to get there among other things it's really cool uh it's actually generated a bunch of really cool pictures of the earth as it used uh a gravity assist from us to get there so basically we let it go and then it kind of re rendezvoused with earth and uh, at another port, part in the orbit and then moved inward just crazy stuff you have to do to get to mercury um and messenger did a couple did i think three flybys in 2008 and 2009 and the orbital mechanics here are incredibly complicated but we you know managed to get it in an orbit around mercury so the first mercury orbit 2011 and stayed there for 4 years and uh, and had to be like really hardened for the radiation and the heat and the extremes of uh, being that close to the sun uh, for so long, but it mapped all those parts of Mercury that we hadn't seen before. It got the, the the results about finding the ice in the craters. It found the evidence that there are there are volcanoes that I talked about earlier. Um, so really successful mission, um, and I, so I can say that Mercury is not the most exciting planet in the world, but like it was a it was a uh, a planet we didn't know a lot about because it was so hard to get to, and Messenger really uh just i mean it killed it. It, it it did a great job it was the it was the mission where it was like no no we can do this we can put a a spaceship in orbit around uh, around mercury and learn about it for the first time there is a third mission that is planned uh the european space agency and japanese space agency are working on a on a, a project called uh, bepi colombo which is weird name but cool <laughs> bepi colombo um and if you're at the Italian restaurant, order the be- Bebe Colombo. You'll really like it. Um, it's uh, it's got some cheese. And anyway, uh, it's actually two probes that launch together. Um, and and the idea is they're going to launch in a couple of years in 2018 and arrive in Mercury's orbit in 2024. And uh, the way it's going to work is one of them is going to be on a like ellipt- elliptical polar orbit. Um, and so it's going to disengage uh, and, and be left on that orbit and then, and then the, the other part of the probe at that point fires its, uh, its thrusters to get in a different orbit and then they, the two craft who've piggybacked together to get there then are doing their own missions separately in different orbits around, around Mercury which is a, a cool idea but that will be the third spacecraft that we have sent and only the second uh, if you count it as one spacecraft to, a, to arrive in Mercury orbit because it's very hard to get there this is the timeline for messenger messenger launched in 2004 it flew past the earth in 2005 it flew past venus in 2006 and then it reached mercury so it was it had a double flyby to get the right you know the orbital mechanics the right speed and everything to get in a place where it could um encounter mercury Uh, but it it encountered mercury in 2008 it didn't actually enter orbit in 2000 until 2011 because again of the complicated mechanics of it it's pretty wild stuff to get uh i mean this is why they pay uh the 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 scientists the big bucks I don't know if they do that but they this is why the scientists uh, go to school for a very long time to do the orb- orbital mechanics necessary to get these uh, spacecraft in the places that they need to go so a, a really circuitous route where it was flying past the launch from the earth fly past the earth fly past venus a couple of times I think and then have like three mercury encounters before you finally get into orbit wild stuff so this is why we don't know as much about mercury Fortunately slash unfortunately, it's not super interesting in a lot of ways. I think it is... Like I said, it's a body. It's an old body. Um, Some things are unique about it. Um, The fact that it's got the temperature extremes, the fact that it's got the really heavy core. There's a lot of questions like, how did it get that core? Does it have to do with forming at that point in the solar system that close to the sun that something about the formation, it ends up accumulating all these heavy elements. Is it uh, the result of a collision like uh, they think the earth might be and the moon where it got hit by something that knocked off a lot of the lighter material and left the heavy core behind? with a smaller, you know, shell around it. Um, it, Plenty of interesting things about it. Um, it, It's just hard to get to. And um, because it's just so baked by the sun, it's not, uh, you know, it's just an old hot surface sitting there or cold, depending on what time of year. Actually, that's, I I wanted to mention one of the things I like to talk about, like how these planets are sometimes depicted in science fiction. Mercury is interesting because I've read several Um, science fiction stories actually that had the same kind of premise which is you could live on mercury first off it's unclear like what's mercury like in the transition zone where it's like always sunrise or always sunset right it, w- would it be you know would would the temperatures there be better or worse uh, would that be the best place to be or would you want to be sort of like in the in the the like the dead center where it's the coldest Um. what you know what's the dynamic there but a lot of people have written stories speculating that if you wanted to live on mercury one way you could do it is to build like even whole cities um, on train tracks or Or uh, with wheels that would uh, drive slowly around Mercury, making a circle every 176 days, at which point you could stay away from the burning, melting sun. So there are a bunch of stories that that are set in, in Mercury's where people have settled there by and and can mine materials and stuff like that but their bases of operations are on these moving platforms that uh that stay away from the sun and are shielded by the bulk of the planet from the sun
1: like if you're, it's like a turn the planet to a giant treadmill
0: yeah it, i mean yeah that's yeah. exactly that's exactly it i mean uh, which is a kind of a funny idea but but uh but the extremes are are, are there but we we i think we can handle the colds extreme better than we can handle the uh because the cold extreme, I mean, space is cold in general, but the hot extreme of uh, of uh, the other side, not good, not not something you want to to go to, if you could help it.
1: So that's that's Mercury, that's our fastest, fastest innermost neighbor,
0: planet number one. Start start off with uh, keep it simple, planet one. So if you want to
1: find show notes for this week's episode. You can do that in your podcast app of choice or on our website, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 23, 23 this week. Uh, There's an email link in that sidebar of that page. You can get in touch, send us questions, send us topic ideas. We're always looking for feedback. You can follow us uh, a bunch of different places. Uh, we uh, share a Tumblr blog at liftoffpodcast.space. You can find Jason on Twitter at jsnell. You can find me on Twitter at ismh. And the show is at liftoffpodcast. I think that does it for this fortnight.
0: I think so. We covered a lot of
1: ground. It was a good time. Feels, feels good. Uh, so and, uh, until next time,
0: say goodbye. Uh, everybody enjoy your uh, solstice revelries, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Adios.